let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing on the teaching of the Word. Dear Lord God, we're grateful to be people of the Word that you chose in reasonable terms and in every form of literature to reach us and speak to us. We'd ask that we would be faithful to it, especially in your son's ministry and what he taught and did. In your son's name, amen. We're in the Gospel of St. Luke. Um, last week was Easter. We were in the Gospel of John regarding the resurrection of Zacchaeus, not Zacchaeus, Lazarus. They both have S's at the end. Lazarus, and uh, where Christ says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a, it's a good passage for Easter, and here we are a week later. Christendom is not Christianity, you well know. Easter is not a Christian holiday. It's a holiday of Christendom. Christianity never told you to do that. So Christianity is something else, and we always try to remind you what that something else is, that you might live that at least. If you want to go play religious patty cake with other things, you may. And you want to do pretty things that you dub Christian things. That's also fine. I have a Christmas tree. Not right now, but that would be too bad. But I did see an Easter wreath made out of eggs at Safeway on sale. Could have gotten that. We are people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians. And we are Protestants, loosely so-called. Uh, I don't think we have any debt to Protestantism, but we feel that God has revealed that you are saved by grace through faith. Not of your own doing, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're people of faith. Jesus Christ, faith, big on the deity of Jesus Christ, big on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We covered that last week. And what we're looking at in Luke 24 and part of Acts 1, both by Luke, he is the only person who records the ascension of Jesus Christ. Matthew doesn't record it. Mark doesn't even get that far. John doesn't record it. It's Luke who records the ascension twice. And it seems like it might sink into our minds because it is a week after the... Now, he, he is on earth after his resurrection for about 40 days. Luke tells us that in, in Acts 1. About 40 days of appearing to the disciples before he ascends to glory. As I was reading through it, I noticed something probably stuck in my mind. A few weeks ago I preached on uh, uh, the Great Commission out of Matthew 28. And in that passage, it's after the resurrection, and he meets with the disciples. Here up on the left-hand side, top verse, Matthew 28, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And this was the interesting phrase, but some doubted.
Now, that sort of stuck in my mind that so often we forget how important will we say sola fide by faith alone we, we're always getting, trying to get people to believe. We're all into apologetics. We're all into this, that, and the other thing to get people to believe. But we don't realize, one, how hard it is to get people to believe, even if you put the risen Christ in front of them. Even if the most loyal, well, not the most loyal, the faithful disciples, the eleven, minus Judas, meeting him on a mountaintop, some doubted. Now, in the Luke account, after, during the resurrection, right after the resurrection, there's a couple of guys, the road to Emmaus story. Now, we jump in here in Luke 24, right at the end of that encounter, or close to the end of that encounter, where Jesus says this to these two. He, uh, he's walking with these two guys, uh, Cleopas and some other guy, and uh, talking to him about the scriptures. He says, she said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. They don't recognize him. They don't know it's Christ. They're talking about the big events in Jerusalem, all the excitement, the killing of this great prophet. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Christ is facing, not just in his disciples, but in all of us, a crisis of faith that we seem to think is a people who don't like faith, salvation by faith alone, think it's too easy. You run into that with the Mormons or the Roman Catholics. They look at us and go, ah, you just think somebody can just believe at the end of their life, ah, they go to heaven. Just believe. That is all. And even the Christians, they go, just believe. They get people worked up at an emotional moment, sing just as I am 50 times, you'll walk the aisle. It's a kind of a big jolt emotionally, you just believe. We start to look at belief. Realize how slow of heart people really are. How foolish they are. How they can have the risen Jesus Christ standing in front of them and they're still going, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. I always like that sensation. You meet somebody on the road who has just the same kind of excited, um, same kind of excited topics on their mind. They like to talk about the same things you like to talk about. It's this walking tour. Lewis talks about it with his friends. You just go out and forget the scenery because you're arguing the whole time. Call me if you want to do something like that. We just do it without the walking. Why bother getting tired? (laughs) 
They wanted to stick around. They, they have a yearning for this. And a lot of times we think, especially those people, I mean, these, these guys from uh, uh, the disciples the, on the road to Emmaus, they've got all the positive eagerness. They're fans of Jesus. And they've heard about the resurrection. And they're all going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they want to know more, but they still are fools. Slow of heart. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. It was one of the, oh my gosh, sort of moment. And they recognized him, and he vanished out of their sight. Okay? Not only do you suddenly realize, I'm with Jesus Christ, who was dead a little while ago. There he is. Oh, no, he's not. Vanished. People disappearing in front of you. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while we talked while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. I want you to know that this whole coming to faith doesn't stop early. You don't get to claim, what was the famous, who was the famous Christian? Was it Wesley or Luther? Or, you know, when his heart burned within him at the reading of Galatians or something like that, or the, somebody's commentary on Romans, Luther's commentary on Romans, or something like that. Sometimes people think that some sort of deep burning in you is, well, these guys felt it too. Did our hearts not burn with us? We you could be a person that is recognizing the truth. They followed the truth for years. They had been taught by this guy. They enjoyed being taught unknowing by this guy. They desperately wanted him to stay and have dinner with them so they could talk some more about this stuff. Is that enough? That your heart burns within you and you want to talk about the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together and those who were with them who said, The Lord has risen and indeed and has appeared to Simon. Now, if you're any kind of liturgical background, even low church does it. On Easter, what's the phrase? That you greet one another with, He is risen, and then the other person says, The Lord is risen indeed, or He is risen indeed. And we just essentially, let's just make that so lost into the unimportance of Christian decoration, you know. Oh, we get to say this. Well, they got to say it too. And they, they are saying indeed. At a moment where it's not entirely really indeed. And they told what had happened on the road and how he had was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were saying this, Jesus himself stood among them. Oink. Okay, these two guys who are on the road to Emmaus, they get to have dinner, long conversation, dinner with Jesus. He disappears. And then they run back to Jerusalem, tell everybody he reappears. This is just, this is the greatest testimony. You were saying, you know, I got saved when I was eight. My parents read a Bible story to me. And I felt guilty of my sins and I prayed. 
Well, I had Jesus talk to me in a conversation. He disappeared. And then when I told other people about it, he reappeared. But they were startled and frightened. Okay, follow this here. You got people running around the landscape. First the women who went to the tomb. Then uh, Peter. And, he, everybody, and then the guys from Emmaus come burst again going, uh, we saw it. And he, boink, there he is. And so they supposed that they saw a spirit. Back to Jesus. Oh, foolish men and slow of heart. They supposed they saw a spirit. You know, people who challenge the resurrection of Jesus Christ often give us suggestions about what could have happened. Kind of a cult hysteria, a joint hallucination, anything. You know, maybe it's a ghost. You know, people are fine with ghosts. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do questionings rise in your heart? They don't believe yet. Even though they said, the Lord has risen indeed. Like countless people in Christendom with big hats said last week. Who are going to hell. Not for saying it. But being slow of heart just like the disciples were. Because until you actually believe. Not, the faith is not the willful suspension of disbelief. You ever hear that phrase regarding you go to a movie, right? You go to a movie, what's a movie that you like to suspend your disbelief? For, for the girls, it's something like Frozen, I guess. I haven't seen it, but I hear it's popular with, with that gender. For men, it's something like Transporter. You, know, you want to be Jason Statham and kick people in the face. You want to you suspend your disbelief. That can't happen in real life. You don't say to yourself. So you go to church and you hope to find a church where there's a little more than a piano being played. So you, so you can get into the mood, right? Get into the mood. Go to concerts. Talk about worship. Because really what you're doing is playing Christianity, trying to suspend your disbelief. It's not an expression of your belief. It's just to trick yourself. This is not true for everybody. You say, what are you saying about me? I'm not, if it's not true, ignore it. But if it is true about you, you're in good company. The disciples were right there with you. We could do, he is risen indeed. The first time it was done, Cleopas runs in. He is risen indeed. He gets to codify this great thing that is abused for centuries. They were still troubled. They still were questioning. And we, this is very early on. We, the, the Matthew account, when he met them in Galilee at the mountaintop, over on the left-hand side, some are still doubting. That's somewhere into, further into this than what we're just at right now. This is right on the cusp of his resurrection. What does the Lord do? He said to them, 
Why are you troubled? And why do questionings rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones, as you see I have. The other gospel talks about Thomas, who didn't believe. Eight days later, it's after this, he's not. He's, he's, you know, put your finger in my side. This is kind of a, if you ever see Baroque art, I like Baroque art. It's always that explosive little cherubs everywhere and clouds of glory and Jesus being lifted up into the, you want, it's always on the ceiling in the church and then it just goes off into glory. Just really, really counter-reformational, you know, a lot of passion in that. Jesus is going, look, I've got holes in my hands. You might want to touch them. It's pretty... It's not the beatific vision. I did a Christmas card once. This has nothing to do with this. Of the Annunciation. Mary being visited by Gabriel. And of course, it had to be, you know, very Renaissance Baroque. You know, she's ah, the light streaming from the angel, and the angel's floating in space doing, you know, what angels do. Because we know what kind of religious visions we're having. Jesus is not a religious vision. He's not a cult hysteria. He's not a ghost. He says, see, I got a hole in my side. Put your hand in it. That's just, that's even if it's your friend and they're not, didn't just die and come back. And they said, hey, you want to touch the wound? You don't, you don't say that to polite company. But Jesus wants them to know he's not a hysteria. He's not a group hallucination. And the wounds not only are the poke my wounds sort of gross, but they identify who it is. It's got to be someone who those wounds were done to. They're having a hard time sorting Jesus out in the resurrection like the guys to Emmaus. They did not recognize him. I don't know what that was about. But Jesus says, see, I'm really here and it's really me, the guy they killed. No, I didn't escape crucifixion and somebody else went through it and I've come back with no wounds. No, I'm the guy who went through the crucifixion. Remember when that guy ran the spear in my side? That's that wound. Remember, these guys are just as modern as you are. Maybe we're hallucinating. Maybe it's a ghost. And so he says, can I have some lunch? While they were still disbelieving for joy, it's moving forward in their life. They're oh my, I just can't believe it's true. Right? I can't believe it's true. It's true, but I can't believe it's true. And wondered, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? You wouldn't be, if you were writing the fiction of the Lord's resurrection, if you were some, you know, overly pietistic monk in the 300s, going, i got to invent, what's the next thing I'm going to invent for the Christians to believe? If I'm going to lie about something, I'm going to lie boldly. 
I'm going to write up a story that's just going to knock their socks off. When this God of theirs resurrects from the dead, I know what he's going to do. And you're going to write, you know, the usual silly things that the monastics and teen writers all over the country write in wish fulfillments. They don't understand what reality is. They never do. They're childish. But this isn't. This is, here, touch my wounds. Here, you have anything to eat? That is so pedestrian. So pedestrian that you know it sounds like it happened. And ghosts don't eat lunch. And you're probably having trouble fitting that into your view of the risen Lord eating lunch. He should be the ascended master from the east. He should be above those human urges. We're not Gnostics here, folks. We're not. We're not. Neither was our Lord. He'd been in the ground for three days. He has been physically raised from the dead. Physically. Not in a hallucination, not a ghost, and not an ascended master. He wants some lunch. Did you bring any food? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So you can see the risen Lord in this room. Right? You kind of expect him to be doing something risen-y, divine-y, whatever, really pious. He's standing there with a hand in his pocket, eating a piece of fish in front of them. And they're looking at him and he's going, I don't understand this. He says, well, this is what it is. It isn't a vision. It isn't an ascension. It's glorious because it is so physical. It is so real. You could put your hand in my wounds and you could give me lunch, for heaven's sake. And I could eat it in front of you, like chewing on a piece of beef jerky. He wants them to believe, not for the sake of believing, but believing this, that he was physically raised from the dead. Wounds and all, hungry and all, physically, really, not a claim, not a hope, not a desire, really there. Then he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's what he did back with the guys on the road to Emmaus. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, what I want you to go away with is not merely that Christians believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not lesson number X in your catechism that you got to, in order to be orthodox, you've got to believe in the bodily resurrection. Yeah, but that's because it's so, not because the church expects it of you. 
the church doesn't expect it of you. You just get to be, you get to, if you don't agree with it, you get to be wrong. It's a free country. This is, the reason we're going through this is to watch the disciples before. We started with the, the Great Commission at the end of Ma, um, Matthew 28. Evangelicals talk about that a lot, going into all the world, evangelizing the lost. Jesus is having to wrestle his 11 disciples to the ground, demand food of them, reprimand them for not understanding, and after having taught them for three or so years, have to reteach them what it was he had been teaching them. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That is the summation of the little Bible study he was giving. That's not the total of it. He was going through the scriptures, opening his mind to the scriptures. But what he was getting at was that dead, buried, raised, and that that message preached for repentance and forgiveness. Right? That's what it... And you are witnesses of these things. Verse 48. How much have we ignored? The disciples were standing there dumbstruck, wondering, doubting, questioning, being troubled. Some of them going, he is risen indeed. Others going, I'm not too sure. And he had been with them and told them about this. You can go back and read the Gospels. How much of Christendom ignores what Jesus said? How much of Christendom ignores the narrative that Jesus writes for himself in history? He is not here to make your diocese or parish click, that your Christian religious church life be whatever degree of pious and fun for you, that's not why he came. He came to die, be buried, be raised, and be preached to all the nations for the repentance of the lost and the forgiveness of sins. That's why he's here. He's writing something else. You might want to go write your little bit of Christendom a certain way, but he's written this story that you either believe or you don't believe. That you either know that's the, okay, that's the teaching of the church and I believe the teaching of the church. Or because of the sermon or the uh, service was so exciting and satisfying, you willfully suspended your disbelief. Or my faith is strong enough or your pastor's faith is strong enough in it that you believe what your pastor believes or what your parents believe. And you think that is what's going to be good enough for you. Jesus Christ is wrestling his own disciples to the ground. He has to open their minds to understand the scriptures. You don't get to write some other narrative than this. If you believe, you believe this. You don't believe what is the trendiest new thing for Christians. You believe this. I read a great little essay by Dr. Bob Smith. He was a philosophy professor that we knew for years. One of the greatest preachers I'd ever heard. Um, he's dead now, died in 
last decade sometime, but uh, on defining Christianity and, and how you don't get to make Christianity something else. This is what it is. This is, this is the contextual definition of Christianity. When Jesus comes down to the wire, here I am, see, I'm risen. This is what this all means. It means I am risen, and it means you preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. How many ministries in big cities where it is really inappropriate to be talking about anything that is acceptable sin as sin, do the Christians start, stop, start talking not about repentance, not about God will forgive you for that, because they don't dare say that needs forgiveness. We're about everything but. We're deciding to write our own narrative. So what are we dealing with here? If you're going to be evangelist for the kingdom of God, if you're going to be someone who is really, not, I don't, it's no requirement you be effective. We're not saying how many notches in your Bible did you save X number of people this year. That's not the point. The question is, are you faithful in presenting it? Every single person you talk to could reject it. There's nothing about the perfect message that will save people. Remember, Jesus Christ was rejected. Okay? They had God standing in front of them. Jesus Christ was doubted by his most faithful when he was standing in front of them. St. Paul was doubted when he could do miracles and argue impressively. And they're going, I don't know. That just seems too true to me. And they didn't believe. Don't think that because you're doing the right thing, you will be believed. But be doing the right thing. We're preaching the right message. From the right degree of being that you have. Look at what it is in the apostles. They had to be moved to belief. Now, up above, I had, on the left-hand side, I had skipped over a verse. I had read you the Matthew 28, and there's this Acts 11 verse. Now, the Acts 11 verse is there because... St. Peter re re recalls something. This is after Cornelius, the Roman centurion, has been led to Christ in Acts 10. He's reporting on that mission to the Jerusalem church, and he refers to what happens to Cornelius in terms of what had happened to him. And look what he says. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then... God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pentecost is a month and a half after the resurrection. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit in keeping with their belief they just didn't, they didn't receive it be, just because they were disciples. These are disciples that in this whole post-death and resurrection moment, there's a parcel of them that just don't believe. Are questioning. It's a ghost. Doubt it. You have to, they had to believe completely, 
you have to believe. He said, the same gift we received when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard this, they were silenced and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance unto life. Their own salvation was at Pentecost. Their own power. Because it, but it was in keeping with their belief. What does it say in John 1? To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God. This is why Christ is wrestling his own disciples to the ground about their belief. Don't, are you doubting? Let me, let me prove it a little bit more. Can I have something to eat? Can I have some lunch? Second, it's important that you understand the scripture. You must believe. Believe completely. Not go hidey hole in some belief. Not some sort of specialty arena belief or partial belief or belief that hits you when you're in church or belief that hits you when you're talking with your Christian friends but doesn't seem to be there when you're at John's Alley. With your non-Christian friends, do you believe the Lord is risen? Do you believe that repentance and forgiveness of sins is the message we're here to preach? Do you believe that? Totally. Second, do you understand it from the scriptures? Jesus is there. Don't you know this has been a narrative that your God has written? We're not just claiming that this is the true message. This is the message that has been told from Moses forward. You ought to understand the scriptures. Thirdly, you want to know what the center of the message is. That's what we said when we said his death, his resurrection, repentance and faith. Preaching that message. And the last thing that you need in order for this to be at all effective in your life. Remember, belief, the scriptures, knowing the center, of the message, knowing what the gospel really is. And lastly, verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's telling them what Peter looked back at and said, what we received when we believed. Jesus is saying, you will receive this necessary gift. Stay here until you get it. You don't get to join the evangelical church and find that you're then being dragged out to go door-to-door evangelism just because that's what we do, because we're evangelicals, or hand out tracts at restaurants, or whatever. We're not there to do that. You have to be there to do this. I don't have to worry about people at all not handing out tracts or going door-to-door or not preaching on the campus, whatever it is you do, talking to friends about Jesus. If I know, they believe it. They understand the scriptures. They know what the center of the gospel is and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I've got no problems. I don't have to train anybody. I don't get anybody out there to do something with their faith because they believe. They've been changed. They understand. They have the ordinate value about all things. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now that's sort of a segue into the Acts 1 section here. Luke, the same writer, overlaps the two. He starts with the ascension in Acts. But I wanted to bring it up because he revisits some of these things. He lets you know more of what happened in that moment. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had been given, he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive by, after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the passage that Peter is quoting. That's the circumstance where Jesus, the other portions in the early part of the uh, Gospels, John says that about Christ. So when Peter says in Acts 11 how the Lord said John baptized with water, this is the circumstance where the Lord says it. At least one of the circumstances. This is the recorded circumstance where Christ says I will baptize or God will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together they asked him Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And you go, really? Can't we have our ministry be about the end times now, Jesus? Can't we center on something entirely different? Can I miss the point one more time, Jesus, before you go? He's looking at them like, you, you, you idiots. And, and, and we get it. We, we get so easily distracted by bright colors and sparkly things. And we run off here and go look at this, this new cool liturgy. We run off here and look at this. Culture, a Christian culture. Look at Jesus. Look at his resurrection. Do you believe it? I don't care if you're a Hottentot in Africa or some sort of Brahmin from Boston with all the right bells and whistles, and that's not a point at you, because that Boston Brahmin just alliteratively came up. This is always true. It doesn't matter what culture you take on. You can have that Easter wreath made up of styrofoam eggs on your front door. It's tacky, but God loves tacky people. You could be somebody really into church history. I like history. God loves you too. But those aren't what we're about. Your belief is in Jesus Christ. That narrative is in the Holy Scriptures. Do you understand it? Have you looked at it? Do you know what the message is you're trying to get across so that when someone has a need, you know what you're going to present to them? Repentance and forgiveness of sin. So can we know now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the Lord said, shut the heck up. 
he said it nicely. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. Yes, I know you're the saints. Yes, I know you're the most important people in the history of Christianity, barring Jesus. But I'm not telling you. But I really want to know. When, when do, wait, Pastor, when do you think the end is going to come? Shut the heck up. If these guys aren't allowed to know, I'm not allowed to know, you're not going to get told. And if someone tells you, and you get all excited about the newest book, about the Lord's return, because really, that's really what it's all about, getting people to believe because there's an exciting miracle coming up in which an earthquake happens and California drops into the sea. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, I think it's cooler that Jesus is raised from the dead. Powerfully, really, as the maker of heaven and earth. Pretty, pretty impressive. Great resume. I was back there at the beginning, whenever you think the beginning was, 6,000 years ago or more. I'm making universes, and then later on in my schedule, I'm going to die. Be raised from the dead, tell about 11 guys, and watch what happens. The power of God, this great narrative, verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Look at the order there. You shall receive power, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, including Moscow, Idaho. We have to realize that our target ministry is repentance unto life. That's what they realized about the Gentiles. When has repentance unto life happened? That's what we're witnessing. We weren't there. I didn't get to put my hand for my doubt's sake into the didn't get to watch him eat the fish jerky there with one hand in a pocket going, good lunch. I, I didn't get to be there. I just get to read it on the page. So what have I witnessed? I've witnessed the effect of their ministry to the ends of the earth. People that did not see it happen, they preached this message. We believe, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. But what do we witness when we witness? The power of the Holy Spirit and repentance unto life. What does that mean? Have you witnessed that in your life? Anything about you different from the next guy? Hanging out with you and your friends? Is it any way, in any way, a greater, gracious experience of people and peace than you can imagine creating any other way? We have all supposedly witnessed repentance unto life. We have all got the scriptures to be understood in front of us. And we are in a society where everything in our history has been translated into English. You can just go read it. You can go study it. You can go understand it. You can always know what the center of the faith is. And if you believe it, 
as the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, like it fell on Cornelius, like it had fallen on Peter and the disciples, that is repentance unto life. If the power of the Holy Spirit, don't bother going out and talking to people about Jesus Christ. You are not an example of his saving work. What's the point? In some, that if I talk to enough people, even though I'm not actually saved by faith, he'll let me in because I made his team bigger? Are we about making his team bigger? The Son of Man himself said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He is not expecting anything. People being saved is a good thing. It's a better thing. But Jesus Christ himself, who does not himself know the day nor the hour, just like the apostles were told they were not allowed to, he didn't know if there was going to be anybody believing when he came. The point is not to get more people believing. The point is to have believed and have been faithful to what you believed and experienced the power of the Holy Ghost. We caught ourselves, get all caught up in in celebrity pastors. Now, I always say this because I'm not a celebrity pastor, as you can tell. Right? Um, I don't even have a head mic. I don't even own a head mic. I have to lean into an actual... I don't know what brand this is. It's a Nady. Cheap microphone. Lean into it. But celebrity pastors are they're celebrities. I'm going to be frank with you. I was reading a celebrity pastor's book, I will not tell you whose, on a subject, on the scriptures. I almost virtually dropped it. I went, ah! My wife walked in. I said, I am not reading anymore. This is so sucky. His exegesis was just, and he's famous, and I like it, but I've met him. I have met a celebrity pastor. I like the man. What awful, awful, awful. Everybody gassing on about this work. Like it was world changing. He was making stuff up. Making stuff up, putting it in the Bible, then interpreting the stuff he made up for your benefit. And he was saying good things. I was glad he was saying good things, but he was just... That's, no, you look at the scriptures. The scriptures are saying something. Understand what they're saying. Don't make stuff up. Don't follow people that have all sorts of baggage or ideas or things they're trying to get a more celebrity for having said. Not because, again, it's not always because they're evil doing this. It's just because stuff happens and we make celebrities out of people. And then there are movements. Celebrity pastors. Exciting movements. Some people have just a, an impossibility to really reach their faith in Jesus Christ because they're just good kids. The way their parents raised them. Dear heavens, as long as I please my folks, and my folks believe this, and I'm not very deep. And as long as I have the pleasure of my parents, that's going to be your Christianity. Or, if it wasn't your Christianity, you find some place where you get to play some religious role. Like, you know, it's like a, 
I was making fun of some Magic the Gathering fans the other day because they hang out at my house. And they know that I make fun of them. God bless them. Jesus loves them too. Role-playing games. You've heard of them. We called it playing cowboys and ninjas growing up. You go out there and shoot each other. You had to lie down and count to ten. You all know the rules. You're not allowed to play cowboys and engines anymore because you can't say engines. Cowboys and Native Americans, I guess it is. I always was an Indian because I like Tonto and I wanted a ponytail. That's role playing. That's what kids do. You can play on one, on, in one group that you're the New Testament church because you're speaking in some sort of blah, 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 say rhubarb a lot. You can pretend that you're one of the early church fathers because you read all that stuff. You want to play that kind of religion. You want to pretend that you're the high age, the high period of the Victorian mission outreach and you, you like the sober Christian uh, response. You can play that you are C.S. Lewis surrounded smoke pipes and talk about literature and say literature instead of literature, literature and, um, and talk about Dante because we all talk about Dante or Milton because if you want to hang with us it's going to be Milton or Dante take your pick, one epic or the other we all have these little games we play I wear tweed jackets. This little pin here is the badge of the Spayburn Distillery. For Spayburn Scotch, they sent it to me. So it's on my lapel. I'm playing, you know, I'm playing. What, where, where's the real? Is it what celebrity you're into? Is it the movement you're part of? It's your parents' pleasure? Is it the little game you're playing to decorate some little childish act of Christianity that makes you feel all, feel all good because it has castles? Or is it the Lord Jesus Christ, really? The, if you want to think of it this way to remind yourself, is it the lunch-eating Jesus? Do you believe in the lunch-eating Jesus? Standing there, having risen from the dead, getting a bite to eat. Our power to preach the message of Jesus Christ hangs on the distinction. Let's thank him. Dear Lord, we are grateful. Be merciful to us. We're slow. Of heart, we haven't examined our own believing. We want to be powerful for your kingdom, Lord. Hold us to these things of belief, your word, the message, and your spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen.